For the last few weeks, we've been looking at these small, bite-sized stories called parables. And there's really nothing small about it. Jesus used these stories in teaching because he wanted us to use our imaginations to spark curiosity and find the bigger truths within it so we can better ourselves. Today we're looking at the parable of the two debtors found in Luke 7:36 through 50. And it starts when a Pharisee named Simon invited Jesus to be a guest for a meal. Picture this. As Jesus enters the man's home and takes his place at the table, a woman of the city, notorious as a woman of ill repute, follows him in. She has heard that Jesus will be at the Pharisee's home. So she comes in and approaches him, carrying an alabaster flask of perfumed oil. And then she begins to cry. She kneels down, so her tears fall on Jesus' feet. And she starts wiping his feet with her own hair. Then she actually kisses his feet and pours the perfumed oil on them. Simon, the Pharisee, thinking to himself, now I know this guy is a fraud. If he were a real prophet, he would have known that this woman is a sinner, and he would have never let her get near him, much less touch him or kiss him. The first thing that I notice is the separation of the Pharisee that wanted to invite Jesus to this dinner party because he was a popular teacher. And I think many just wanted to figure Jesus out. Or for Simon, it was to find the discrepancies in his life. Pharisees would spend their entire existence dedicated to following the law and the rules in order to have the hope of honoring God. But in doing so, they became hardened and misaligned. The word Pharisee actually means to separate. And here's where we see this distinction, not only in status, but also who's who based on their sin. Nobody wants to enter a room, yet alone their entire life, separated by the baggage that they carry with them. So no matter how this woman ended up here, she and everyone else at the dinner table knew that she was a stark contrast. Pharisees followed rules to the T, but their willingness to have a heart of compassion, it was non-existent. Their attitudes were really the worst. And I think we've all met people in our life that have been legalistic and uncaring. And for some, maybe it was the church that you grew up in, or people that we trusted and loved, or possibly it was ourselves at one time. And we even face separation in our world today, feuding political parties, families choosing between e-learning and sending their kids to school, and which lives matter and which don't. But ultimately, the biggest separation is between us and God. What causes that barrier between us is our motives and our own sin. The woman and her actions showcase how desperate she was to let go of that baggage and close that separation. While physically weeping, something I know very well, she gently takes out this alabaster jar to anoint his feet with perfume. Now, alabaster, it is a white stone that when held up to the light, it becomes transparent, almost see-through. It symbolizes the transparency and purity one can have. And she was the only one at the dinner table that night 
that was being truly authentic to Jesus. Now, instead of giving into this overwhelming sense of separation, this woman chose to be honest with her sin. She knelt at Jesus' feet and she surrendered. For many of us, there is this invisible line of separation and we try so hard to follow all the rules, to be a good person. But being a good person, it's not good enough. It's never going to be enough. The only way we can get close to Jesus is to fully surrender, kneeling at his feet. And like her, we need to realize we cannot fix or solve the sin in our own life. Jesus is the only one that can forgive us of that. So what does surrender over separation even look like in our lives? You know, what are those thoughts that roll around in your head before you go to sleep? Does it sound like, I'm worried about what my boss will think of me? I feel overwhelmed, and I just don't know what to do next. If I use this new credit card, maybe I can pay off all my expenses. Am I loved? And what happens if I'm not enough? In 2005, the National Science Foundation found that the average person has about 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. I'd like to know how they figure that out. But the important part to know is 80% of those thoughts were negative, and 95% were the exact same thoughts they had as the day before. It's the swirl of thoughts that the enemy uses to draw us back further and further into separation from God. But Jesus gives us this opportunity to surrender those thoughts each day to him, laying it all at his feet. It's a constant discipline of understanding our priorities, behaviors, and motives that are ruling our life. Are you willing to recognize the weights that we have in our life that separate us from him instead of choosing to surrender? You know, it makes me smile a little bit for the magnitude of what God knows about us because he knew exactly what the Pharisee was thinking. And Jesus said, Simon, I want to tell you a story. Simon said, tell me, teacher. Well, two men owned a certain lender a lot of money. One owed 100 weeks' wages, and the other owed 10 weeks' wages. Both of the men defaulted on their loans, but the lender forgave them both. Here's the question for you. Which man will love the lender more? Simon said, well, I guess it would be the one who has forgiven more. Jesus said, good answer. You know, here are two debtors, the one with a very large sum and one with a pretty decent amount. Both had a debt to be paid to the lender, and for whatever reason, they couldn't pay the debt. It could have been 10 bad financial decisions or just a certain life circumstances that led them to this place. But they are in the same position, in debt. And Jesus is trying to make a point to Simon and those listening to help them understand that the debtors... They represent all of us. The debt, no matter how much it is, that's our own sin. And the lender probably guessed it. It's Jesus. By the world's standards, the woman at Jesus' feet, her sin is more known. And while Simon the Pharisee just chose to keep his constant judgment discreet and a little bit more close to the chest, 
When we read this story, we can easily decide that Simon is the villain. And then what have we just done? We've judged him. I mean, I kind of led you to that direction. But I'm sure you didn't need much nudging. We have to realize we are like Simon. In God's eyes, we all have sin. It doesn't matter how much. But like Jesus said of the debtors, which will love the lender more? Which will be more grateful? I think Jesus knew that for many of us, we have created sin to look like this sliding scale. In our human minds, it starts off with the not-so-good stuff, like, oh, your haircut looks so great, to a choice word or action on the highway when somebody cuts you off, to addiction to online shopping and food, all the way up to abuse and murder of an innocent person. I believe it's because of our own humanness and our need to justify that we've created this non-existent scale because it makes us feel better about the sin that's in our own life. But in the end, sin is sin. Everyone in the room heard that parable. We are all debtors, but how are we going to react to the sin right now? For many, we have created this false narrative that somehow, like Simon, we are enough. We are going to do this life on our own, not until we really, really do the bad things. Then we're going to need God's forgiveness. When in reality, we have needed it all along. God's hope is that we don't continue on like the Pharisee, privately judging others' sins, but looking inwards and realizing We are just as guilty. Simon gets it. He hears it. But does his heart get it? Is there a heart change? Let's recognize and search our hearts. Because when we realize our sin, knowing that Jesus forgives, I think that's what Jesus is trying to imply on whom will love the lender more. We don't deserve it. But we will become overwhelmed by God's grace, that we live our lives daily with grateful hearts. And the last section goes like this. Now Jesus turns around, so he's facing the woman, but he's still talking to Simon. Jesus says, do you see this woman here? It's kind of funny. I entered your home, and you didn't provide a basin of water so I could wash the road dust from my feet. You didn't give me a customary kiss of greeting and welcome. You didn't offer me the common courtesy of providing oil to brighten my face. But this woman, this woman has wet my feet with her own tears and washed them with her own hair. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. And she has applied perfumed oil to my feet. This woman, she's been forgiven much. And she's showing much love. But the person who has shown little love shows how little forgiveness He has received. Jesus said to the woman, your sins, they're forgiven. Simon and his friends, muttering among themselves, said, who does this guy think that he is? He has the audacity to claim the authority to forgive sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has liberated you. Go in peace. The people are on the table. They're right. Who is this person that chooses to forgive sin? I mean, Jesus is calling Simon right out in front of all of his guests and talk about a little bit awkward and uncomfortable dinner situation. I mean, nobody wants to be called out. 
Jesus is saying, look at all this, these women's actions, her emotions, her appreciation. Where is your gratefulness, Simon? Because you are unaware of your own forgiveness and your need of grace, you have shown to me tonight how little you've received. We can say the same thing for us. Where's our gratefulness? Jesus is calling us out. He wants us to be uncomfortable in the ways we've been in the wrong, to be held accountable. The Christian life, it's, it's not an easy one. But Jesus doesn't want us to stay in that separation or judgment. He wants us to recognize our sin. It's kind of like going through the stages of grief, if you've ever been through that. He wants us to wrestle with it. There's going to be some pain and guilt, possibly anger. But then there's going to be this growth and acceptance and choosing to move forward with the hope he offers us. And that is the whole reason why God brought his son Jesus into the picture. Not to shame us, but to show us. Jesus gives us the opportunity to break free. But like Simon, are we ready to deal with it? Some of us may not understand that yet. And maybe you just don't know where your fault is in your life. So I'd encourage you to be brave, to pray honestly with God to open your eyes. Because as we grow, we realize the areas in our lives that we've lacked. Take some time to wrestle with it and accept it and know that he loves you completely. When we fully understand the forgiveness that he shared with us and will continue to share with us, that gratitude, it becomes overwhelming. The beauty of it is only then we are able to share that grace with the people that we love in our life. Wherever you are, please don't. Please don't believe the lie that you don't really need forgiveness, that you don't deserve it, or that somehow you've already met your max. Our hope is in that last verse from Jesus, that your faith, it has liberated you. Jesus' grace frees us from our mess time and time again. And we can have confidence in that because of what it says in Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. So here's my encouragement to you this week. Spend some time, 15 to 20 minutes. Now, I know you can make that work. We're all in quarantine. There's nowhere you really have to be right now. But I just want you to sit with these questions. How or what can I surrender to you, God? What is the debt that I owe? And where is my gratefulness? When we ask ourselves these questions, it's ultimately because we want to awaken something inside ourselves so we can deepen this relationship with Jesus and move forward in his peace. That's what he wants from us. Without those opportunities, we're going to continue to be like Simon, hardened, misaligned, and separated. I believe the hope in Jesus parallels with what C.S. Lewis once wrote. You can't go back and change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. What's your ending going to look like? 
let's not take Jesus for granted. I've made many mistakes in my life, many. But I've still seen him work in my life and in the lives of others. He provides hope, joy, and I know he's going to provide a peace that we can go into this world with. It's comforting to know God looks at us and he says, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I don't know where you are this morning. I just feel led to offer this opportunity to you if you've never asked Jesus to truly lead your life, to get in that driver's seat so that you can choose to follow him It's not about religion. It's about relationship. If you like, please pray this with me. Jesus, I believe you are the son of God, that you died on the cross to rescue me from my own sin because I am never, ever going to be good enough without you. I choose to surrender every part of my life to you and change my ending today. Thank you for your forgiveness. Come reign in my heart. Fill me with your life and help me to become truly loving, a person like you. Restore me, Jesus. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.